All right, good evening, everyone. Is it hot in here or is it hot in here? Is, is it just me? Man, can we, is the air on? Is the air gonna, I get hot easily, so I need, I need the air. I'm wearing my fire pants today, so it's, it's extra hot. Um, yes, my name is David. I'm the guy who's, who's singing a lot up here. Uh, anyone, I'm just, just curious, uh, who, who's never heard me preach before? Everyone's kind of, okay, okay, just, that's not part of my sermon, that's just, that's just me. Um, uh, so yeah, I'm going to, oh, yeah, my name's David, I'm one of the pastors at New Philadelphia Church, I'm also, I guess technically an associate staff or, or something, like, it's funny, I've been with the Mace uh, a little over two years now, and um, then I got off of Mace and I was just doing praise leading, and then I think beginning of the semester they called me. They still call me staff. You guys just can't get rid of me. Amaze loves me so much that you know, they just want to keep me. Um, but yeah, I'm going to preach tonight. Are you ready for the word? So God has been teaching me about humility. All right, so I'm going to just say it right now. Uh, my sermon title is Humble Yourself. All right, so you spell it humble, Y-O apostrophe self, Okay. Humble yourself. Tell that to your neighbors. Humble yourself. All right. So, yeah, God's been teaching me a lot about humility and, and just in a lot of different ways. Um, definitely through my speech, like, you know, the, the word of God says, you know, what you speak is coming from the overflow of your heart. Right. And the things I'll be saying, I'm just like, what? Why would I say that? You know, even like last week when uh, Tina introduced me, like, oh, next week's speaker is Pastor David. And I was like, and, and then she was like, um, all of you guys better come. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's right. And I sat back down. I was like, wait, why am I getting so, I got to, I got to humble yourself. You know, I got to humble myself, you know, and I got to, I just got to chill, like my thoughts, my words. Uh, and it's definitely um, a humbling time right now. I got finals. Anybody feel me right now? Yeah, finals. Anybody? That's a humbling experience, right? That's a humbling time. Uh, yeah, last week, just had a lot of papers. Um, I go to school with uh, John Park, where, wherever he's at. There he is. And, you know, I was just so overwhelmed with all the papers. Go down to the cafeteria, get some food. And I didn't even look Christian, man. He was just, like, asking me, like, hey, are you okay, man? I've never, never ever seen you like this before. And it's just a very, very humbling time, you know, uh, uh, finals. All these things. Uh, in my school, we had this talent show. It's called Voice of Torch. I put up on my status, like, hey, everyone, I'm going to win this thing. Uh, you know, like this post. You don't even have to pray for me. You know, it's good. We, we got this thing in the bag. And we didn't even place, man. We did so bad. It was just uh, it's kind of embarrassing. And it was definitely a, it's even more embarrassing. Come on, guys. You can laugh a little bit. All right. You can laugh. Ha ha. Make me feel better. All right. Thank you. Uh, it was a very humbling time. You know, you just put yourself out there and, you know, you think you're going to win, but you don't win. Uh, it's very, yeah, very humbling time. And needless to say, I came to a very sobering reality and I had to check my heart. And I had to ask God about my life. And I was asking, Lord, am I being confident or am I being cocky? And, you know, there's a, what's the difference, you know, between uh, being prideful or being bold? And I had to ask him these things because on the outside... The action, it could be identical. You, know, you could do the same exact thing as anyone else, but the spirit of it could either be marked by pride or humility, right? 
And there are different types of messages that speakers like to preach on. You know, one message is like something that they just read from a book or just learned from a class. And, you know, it's like, oh, that was, that was neat. That's really good. I want to I share that with people. And there's messages like that. And then there's messages that, you know, people have been sitting on, people have been stewarding for years, and they're very seasoned in it. For those of you who went to um, the New Philly retreat, there is Dr. Kirby Clements. He was this very old African-American, really wise guy. And he was just talking, he's dropping wisdom, 60 revelations, you know, per hour, you know, he's dropping it over and over. And, and, you know, he was a seasoned man of wisdom, right? And you could just tell it was coming. It was just gushing out of him. There's, there's an overflow, right? And then there's messages that people preach on where they barely understand that revelation or something very new to them. And that's the kind of message I'm going to speak tonight. You know, I don't like preaching this kind of message. It's making me, you know, uncomfortable. You know, it's making me, yeah, step out of my comfort zone. And because and, I don't feel like I own this. You know, I don't feel like I own this revelation. I got to humble yourself. You know, I got I to gotta just wake up and I got to, um, it's something I feel like I got to sit on more. But what I'm doing is I just want to invite you on part of this journey. So tonight I speak to you as a sinner. I speak to you as a sinner dealing with the very present reality of sin and temptation. Temptation that's right in your face because of the fallen nature that we possess and the broken world that we live in. Because that's the reality. We're sinners. But there's a greater reality, and that's, that's truth. So as I'm speaking to you as a sinner, I'm also speaking to you as a saint. As one who knows that I'm saved by grace through faith. As one who knows that he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. I speak to you, on, to, to you as one who knows that God is for me and not against me. And you see, there's this tension. Because while we're here on earth, we're, we're, either, we're both a saint and we're both a sinner. And there's a tension for all believers in this part of our life. And I realize that, man, as we mature and as we grow in wisdom, and as we understand the reality of being a sinner... At the same time, identifying yourself as a saint with the truth of that, there's this tension, and we need to grow in maturity. We need to grow in wisdom, and we got to grow in humility. Amen? We need to grow in humility. Humility to receive the word with a heart with good soil. Humility to stay teachable. Humility to be kept from falling into sin and temptation. Humility to remember who we are. And specifically to remember who we are in God. And even more importantly, to remember who God is himself. So I'm here tonight to talk to you about humility. And my point to you is that we all need it. Tell your neighbor, humble yourself. Uh, So before I continue, I just want to pray real quick. Can you bow your heads with me? Father, we come to you tonight just as we are. Whether we've been following you, Lord, all our days or, you know, just the last couple months, Lord. Father, we come to you just as we are. A sinner that's broken, dealing with the sin and temptation that's very real in our lives. At the same time, as a saint and standing upon that truth in faith. God, I just pray, Holy Spirit, come in this room, open up every heart and give us humility to receive this word about humility. Father, we love you, and in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
right, so before I continue, we got to define what humility is, right? I can't, I can't talk about humility if I don't even tell you what it is, right? So what is humility? I'm, I'm asking you. What, 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 is, what is humility? This is a classroom sometimes, right? So I'm, I'm in teacher mode right now. What's humility? Just shout it out real quick. Anybody? Any brave souls? Any humble people out there? What'd you say? Selflessness. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's keep going. Keep going. Honesty. All right. Honest. Oh, modesty. Okay. I was like, honesty. Yeah. That's humble. That's what I thought of. Um, anyone here watch uh, Simpsons growing up? Or Yeah. It, it's not a good show. Um, and... I kind of grew up, and I learned a lot from that show. Again, not good things, but, you know, there's this one character, and you guys know who I'm about to talk about, Ned Flanders, all right? He's from, he's Homer Simpson's neighbor. He's got these glasses and a thick mustache, and he always says, Oakley Doakley, right? He, he's, he's this really, like, kind of nerdy um, you know, character, and he just, he's this pushover, you know, Homer's like, hey, can I borrow your lawnmower? And he's like, yeah, sure, um, can you give back my grill, though, that you've had for the last three years? And, you know, he's like this pushover Christian that, you know, the stereotypical Christian that's, that's quote-unquote humble, right? Because, you know, he, he turns other cheek, and for Ned, he turned a bunch of other cheeks to Homer, you know, and he just, he's this humble Christian that's, that's really nice, and, and I'm asking you, tonight, is that your image of humility? You know, when you think about humility, do you think about Oakley Doakley, you know, Ned Flanders. I forgot what else he says. <laughs> it's been a while, but yeah, you know, yeah, Ned Flanders. That's hi-ho. What, what, is, what is that? Oh, Heidi. Oh, yeah, you're right. Oh, snap. That just brought me back. Anyways, um, yeah, it's humility Ned Flanders. Somebody say no. <laughs> Thank you. All right. All right, well, let's see. All right, that's what pop culture or at least American pop culture says. What does the Bible say? If you look at Numbers 12.3, it says this. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Now, this is really funny. Do you know who wrote this book? Moses. Most scholars believe that Moses was the one who wrote the first five books of the Bible, and Numbers is one of them. So Moses is writing... Now Moses, a.k.a. me, was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. That's just, that's just funny, man. That's just weird. That's just, it just doesn't make sense. It's so contradictory, right? It's like saying, guys, I have, um, I have the most beautiful biceps in the world. Oh, but please, please don't look at them. You know, and I just like, and I'm just asking you to look at, you know, that's why I'm covering it with the cardigan. But, you know, I'm at, it's like, it's like, that, that's what it is. It's, it's like, it makes no sense. I'm the most humble man. <laughs> I walked on the face of the earth. But you're the dude who wrote it. You know, it, it, all credibility is lost. You know, it, it's one thing for you to say it about yourself, but it should come from another person, right? And, you know, that, all right, so that's, okay, that's what the Bible says. Here's some other verses. Uh, Matthew 18.4. It says, whoever humbles himself, like this child, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So, you know, there's all these little children. Jesus loved the children. Uh, you know, he's just playing with them, throwing them up in the air. 
And he's saying, like, man, you just got to be humble like this child, like my little boy, Simon, you know, like some, I was trying to get a Jewish name. But yeah, uh, yeah, like this child, you know, whoever humbles himself like this child. Uh, Philippians 4, 12 to 13. This is when Paul's writing to the church Philippi. And he says, I know how to be brought low, which is the same word, humble. I know how to be humbled. That's an interesting thing to say. I know how to be humbled. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So, okay, these, I'm just giving you little you know, snippets of what the Bible says of what humility looks like. So I looked up the word, and not on you know, merriamdictionary.com, but I looked up the original Greek word. And what is humble in Greek? John Park. That was good, that was good. Um, the word is papeno, which is just a fancy way of saying, and there's, a mul- there's uh, multiple meanings for it, so I'll just read them out. To humiliate in your condition or your heart, that's one. To abase, to bring low, or to humble yourself. Uh, to level, reduce to a plane, as if like you're getting a wrecking ball, you're destroying a building, you know, bringing it down to ground zero. Uh, and then metaphorically, it means to bring into a humble condition. It means to be ranked below others who are honored and rewarded. It also means to lower, depress. It means to be devoid of all haughtiness, all pride. And it means to also have a modest opinion of oneself. It means to behave in an unassuming manner. I, wanna, I like that one meaning. Uh, humble oneself means to have a modest opinion of oneself. Okay, so we're getting there. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm grabbing your hand. I'm walking you through what humility means, okay? You guys with me? You guys with me? Am I losing anyone? All right, if, I, if your neighbor looks like he's those, he or she is dozing off or you, they're being lost, just shout in their ear, humble yourself, all right? Everybody's scared now. All right, so let's keep going. Humility, all right. So what, does, what is Christian humility? I'm going to keep going. So there's this pastor, his name's uh, Richard Blackaby. He says, humility is not a mere ornament of a Christian, but it's an essential part of the new creature. It's a contradiction, it is a contradiction in terms to be a Christian and not humble. God bless you. All who will be Christians must be Christ's disciples and come to him to learn. And the lesson which he teaches them is to be meek and lowly. So he's saying it's a contradiction for you to be a Christian and for you to not be humble. Okay? It's, it's not like a little ornament the way he says. It's not a little accessory. It's not a little cardigan you put on one day. I'm going to be humble today. Maybe not today, I, you know, and take it off. No, it's not that. It's not something you just put on or off. It's an essential part of who you are as a Christian. Okay? That's Christian humility. And really quick, I'm going to go through five marks of humility. Okay, I got this from my man, John Piper. Anybody know John Piper? All right. So John Piper is like the godfather, one of the godfathers of, I guess, American uh, Christian church. Uh, he's, so there's him and there's Tim Keller. Tim Keller is just like really nice, older gentleman. Um, I used to go to his church in New York and he's like really soft-spoken. He's like that uncle who just has a bunch of stories you know, he comes over, he'll just, like, you just want to sit next to him and hear from him, right? John Piper, on the other hand, he's like, he's like the angry uh, grandpa slash uncle that, like, you just, once he comes, you just stop eating. 
Because you know he's going to say something, it's upset your stomach, or you know you just got to like you got to sit straight, sit sit proper. You know that's that's the kind of man John Piper is. At the same time, he's very humble too. He's a really smart dude. Uh, he's retired. He's like seventy or hundred or something. He's really old, and he's he's really smart guy. Uh, he's contributed a lot to, I guess the the the, the wider body of Christ. Um, really smart, really humble guy. So this is his five brief um, marks of what makes a person humble, okay? So the first one is, if you're taking notes, humility begins with a subordination to God in Christ. Humility begins with a subordination to God in Christ. So Matthew 10, 24, it says, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. First Peter 5, 6, it says, humble yourselves, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. All right, humility begins with a subordination to God in Christ. Simple. Second, humility, it's not based on entitlement. Okay, it doesn't, humility is not uh, you doing things because you feel like you deserve something just as good or better. Okay, real simple, real, real uh, clear. Thirdly, humility asserts truth as service to Christ and love to your enemy, not to bolster up your ego. All right, so humility is not me being like, hey, Sharon, I told you I was right about that thing we talked about last night. And you just walk away. You know, it's not to be like, make, make myself feel better. Like, oh my gosh, I knew um, when we were talking about that thing that she just bugged me because she kept telling me it was this thing, but I said it was that thing. And then, I, you know, I finally find out, I, I check my source, it's right, and I tell her, and I put it in her face, and I assert the truth. You know, that's not why, that's not humility, right? It's to, number one, for service to Christ. Secondly, for love for your, your friend or your enemy, okay? So, yeah, it's uh, asserting truth in that kind of spirit, right? Uh, humility, fourth one. Humility knows that you're dependent on grace for all knowing and believing. One more time. Humility knows that you're dependent on grace for all knowing and believing. So 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? You know, Paul's talking about, you know, stop acting like you, you deserve this salvation or whatever just because of your own merit, because of your own works. He's not... He's saying, man, it could be easily taken away from you just as it was easily given to you, right? Uh, James one twenty one. this is a really good one. And humility received the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. How many of you know that the gospel message is offensive? It's not something that's like very, you know, sugar-coated. Maybe sometimes people deliver it to you that way. But it's, it's a very offensive message because one day someone's going to come up to you and say you're not a believer, and someone comes up to you and they say, hey, you're pretty jacked up. Your life right now, it's, it's messed up. Let me tell you how to live your life right now. You know, it's, it's, it could come off that way because what you're telling them is, hey, you're broken. You're fallen. You know, you have this thing called sin in your life. It's very offensive. And you need humility in order to be able to receive that word. Right? It says, in humility, receive the word that has the power to save your soul. Humility knows that you're dependent on grace. All right, and the last one, last uh, characteristic of humility by Piper is humility knows you are fallible. Fallible is F-A-L-L-I-B-L-E. In other words, it means you know that you're able to make mistakes. Okay? 
And because of that, in light of that, you consider the criticisms of others and you learn from it. It's similar to what I said before. It's humility is being teachable. You know, it's having a heart that's just knowing that, yeah, this is, um, that I can make mistakes. I'm not perfect. You know, I'm not so cocky. I'm not so prideful, but I'm, I'm willing to uh, sit down and consider criticisms. Proverbs twelve fifteen it says, a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Tell your neighbor, listen to counsel. All right, real quick. Someone shout it out. What's the first one? Humility begins with? Second one, humility is not based on? Third, humility. It's like flittering away like a butterfly. A service guy loves the adversary not to bolster your ego. All right, fourth, humility knows that you are? You guys are good note takers. That's what I'm talking about. And the last one, humility knows that you are? And how do you spell that? That's what I'm talking about. You all get gold stickers and stars today. All right. um, So now that we know what Christian humility is, we're going to go into the text, okay? I know it's been a long time. Some of y'all was just dragging, you know, but others I was walking you through what humility is. Now that we have that foundation, let's go to 1 Peter. All right. So we got the Gospels. We got Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. First, second, Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James. And then it's first Peter, all right? If you're there, say, what have I been saying all night? <laughs> Humble yourself. Everybody there? Come on, I just read the whole table of contents, y'all. Oh, oh chapter. Oh, my bad. <laughs> chapter five, cinco. Tazut. Chini, sanshi. Go, go, in Japanese. Um, all right. Number six, verse six of chapter five. I'm going to read it. Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober. What is going on? It's like Jurassic Park up in here. <laughs> all right. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So anybody know who wrote this epistle? It's not a trick question, guys. <laughs> Peter. All right. Say it with me. Peter. Peter. There you go. Pedro. So Peter. I'm trying, I'm trying to practice my... What? Jurassic Park. What is going on? All right. I'm, I'm just going to keep going. Um, all right. So Peter, he was writing to the Christians who were going through various levels of persecution, Okay. So some scholars say, you know, it was like, it was more like discrimination, like, you know, because Christians, they, once they became Christian, they stopped doing those like pagan things, you know, like worshiping idols and stuff. And, and other people like, you know, like, like people you grew up with, your classmates, you know, your coworkers, they're all like, hey man, you want to go to temple? 
yo, we're going to like kill this thing and eat it and, and like dance around it with some blood and all that stuff. You know, very um, graphic, you know, but he's, they're doing this. And all of a sudden he's like, no, I'm a Christian. I just can't be doing that stuff. My man Paul said, like, stop giving sacrifices to idols. You know, and then they were like, what the heck, dude? So they just kind of left, you know, a little bit of discrimination. There's, there's that kind of level. Some scholars say that the level of, uh, I guess, discrimination was more like persecution, where they were getting, like, like life, your life was being threatened. You know, like, you're going to be martyred. You're going to go to jail. It was pretty bad. But regardless, the context is there is suffering. There is persecution, right? And Peter's writing to them. And Peter, what he's pretty much saying is, stay strong and persist in doing good. In other words, he's saying, remain positive despite your situations. And that's why in uh, chapter 4, verse 8, it says, love each other deeply. Love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. He's saying, love each other. Keep doing good. Keep fighting that good fight. And the funny thing is, do you guys know Peter's background? You guys ever read... um, the Gospels, and, uh, you know, Peter, man, I love Peter, man, he's, he's one of my favorite characters, he's just, he's just Peter, you know, he's just hot-headed, boisterously tempered, I never use that word, but I'm gonna use it for Peter, boisterously tempered, he's just like, he just doesn't think, you know, he just kind of, he's just like, you know, and he just goes like, Kind of like a Fred Flintstone, Neanderthal. Like, I, I kind of, that's, that's my image of Peter. I'm sorry if your name is Peter, anyone. Um, and you know, Peter, do you guys know what his occupation was? I will make you fishers of men if you fall. <laughs> Nobody knows that song. I'm kind of old in here. All right, so, yeah, he was a fisherman. Uh, and he was, you know, fishermen, they were... They were like, they were like scruffy. You know, they had the whole beard. One day I'll have a beard. One day this will be grown. But, you know, he, you know it, it was, he was, uh, fishermen back then were like, you know, unkempt. They were, um, you know, just kind of wore whatever. They didn't care. They just, they were just a man, you know. It's, they were like a man's man. Fishermen back then were a man's man. Anyone know Thor? What's his name? I know you ladies know his name. Chris Hemsworth. It, it was like Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> Not humble at all right there. <laughs> He's just going for it. All right. You know, like Chris Hemsworth. It's like 300. You know, um, Cle- Cle- what was his name? Leon- Leonidas. Le- I was going to say something different. Um, I was going to say a disease or something. Yeah, Leonidas. You know, it, he was this guy. He was a man's man. Anyone here see 300? Yeah. He was a man's man. You know why? Because he had a cape. And he just walked around with this cape. And he just had like red underwear just walk he didn't care he was a man's man he just walked around he didn't care he was so tough if someone made fun of his underwear or his cape he would just look at them you know he was a t- he, he was this he was a man's man and that was kind of like peter you know he was a fisherman he was a man's man except for he had no cape and you know peter again he was notorious for either acting without thinking okay or putting his own foot in his mouth, okay? He was just, he'd just say things without really thinking about it, or he would just do things, again, without really thinking about it. So just some examples. You know, Jesus, he's all serene and, and you know, holy and divine, and he's just standing there, and he's, like, talking to his disciples. He's like, hey, 12. 
you know, in a few days' time, I shall go and be crucified to fulfill the messianic prophecies that have been told about me from old. And I must do this to fulfill, you know, God's divine plan. This is why I came. This is why the Son of Man came. And Peter just goes, no, God, Jesus, no. Stop it. I don't want to hear it. No. No, but he's just like, stop it. You know, stop it. Stop. And you know what Jesus says? He says, what's he say? He says, get, get behind me, Satan. He calls, he calls him Satan. Not that Peter was Satan, but like the things he was saying was of satanic origin because he was trying to stop, you know, God's divine plan. But, you know, Jesus, he, he all proper, right? He's stroking his beard because he has a beard. He's a man too, right? I will in a few days' time. No, no, You know, he's just like, he's just like, doesn't think. Peter, come on, man. Come on, Peter. You know, another time. <laughs> I love this one. I love this one. Uh, John 18. All right. You can write this down and read it later if you want. Uh, this is right after Jesus prays all night at Gethsemane. And he's, he tells us, 12, he's like, 12, come and pray with me. I need your prayers. You, you guys have been traveling with me the last three years. You know, just, just can you just pray with me one night? And, and, you know, he's praying. Jesus is praying. He goes over. His disciples are narcoleptic. They're just sleeping. He wakes them up. He's like, come on, wake up. You can't even stay up like an hour, you know. And then and he goes back to pray. And, and Jesus intensely praying because he knows what he's about to do. He's, the very next day, he's about to, you know, take the cup of wrath that's poured out to him. He's literally sweating, you know, drops of blood, uh, which is a, a true medical condition. When you're under that much stress, like that could actually happen. And anyways, that's not my point. But, you know, after that intense night of just, I don't know how Jesus prayed, but if it was Korean stuff, he'd be like, or dad, you know, and he's just praying all night. He gets up. He's like, hey, hey, disciples, my 12, or my 11 homies at this time, because Judas is gone. He's like, hey, 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 they're coming. They're coming for me. They're coming for me, man. And then what happens? Judas comes and he's like, yeah, man, that's the one right there. That's the one right there. Let me get my money. All right, that's the one right there. And he goes. And then what happens? You know, they come. There's a guard. And this, man, this is what happens. Let me just, let me just, I don't want to butcher the, this holy story. So uh, Jesus asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. Then Simon Peter. All right, first thing, guys. If you know anyone like Peter. And you probably do. And if you don't know anyone like Peter in your life, maybe you're that Peter. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Anyways, that's not my point. Come on, back, back. Uh, Peter drew his sword. <laughs> don't ever give a man like Peter your sword, okay? Any dangerous, any pointy objects. Peter drew his sword, or who had a sword, drew it, and struck the high priest servant, cutting off his right ear. Ear, not here. <laughs> ear and the servant's name was malchus all right, all right his name was kind of weird maybe he deserved i'm just kidding i'm just kidding no but right, just think about this think about this no one's like it's not like you know american american cops man they're just oh well i gotta be careful right now you know there a lot of them are bored and and um looking for violence uh or looking for action in cer- certain neighborhoods certain safer neighborhoods so at, at like the first sign of um, 
you know, crime or what, they'll just jump on the guy, you know, throw him to the ground, you know, arrest him, right? Like real quick, with quickness, right? But that's, it was kind of like that. Or, or no, that wasn't even happening here because Jesus is like real calm. He's like, hey, who do you want, man? They're like, they want, we want a man named Jesus from that. Oh, yeah, that's me, that's me. Just don't touch my homies here. Bro! <laughs> the Peter just takes out a sword and just cuts this dude's ear off. It just doesn't make sense, man. It just doesn't make sense, you know? And then Pete, Jesus says, Peter put, Peter, put your sword away. Put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father's giving me? He goes back all holy, you know, God's plans. You guys know the rest of the story. You know, and that, that's, the, that's the background of Peter, okay? If you didn't know that story, there's a lot more accurate uh, version of him in, in, in the rest of the Bible. So please don't think that's like only, um, he, I'm sure he had other sides too. You know, he had good sides too. But yeah, that, that's the kind of um, spirit he had. You know, he was a fisherman, real scruffy dude. But what's interesting is at this point of writing the letter, we're going back to the letter, First Peter. When Peter was writing this, he was a lot more mature and humble. He was a lot more, yeah, a lot more humble. And the thing is, he wasn't just writing this as an apostle, you know, as one of Jesus' uh, disciples, original disciples, but he was writing this as an elder. In chapter 5, verse 1, it says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. What happened here? And, and if you look at, the con- again, the content of this epistle, he's saying things like, guys, love each other deeply, you know, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Oh. You know, and he's just like, he's, he's speaking as a father. He's speaking as an elder. He's speaking as a very humble man of God. Not as, you know, irrational or, or rash as he was before. You know, he's, he's not so quick. He doesn't put his foot in his mouth. But he really thinks before, you know, he does things, before he says things. Something's, something's radically different about this man. And, you know, if you follow church tradition, they say that, you know, Peter, he was so humble. He was such a, like, he, he changed so much from his time before uh, Jesus died on the cross, that he didn't consider himself worthy to die the same kind of death that Jesus died. So what happened was, you know, Peter, he ultimately was martyred. He, uh, he was crucified. But he was like, no, I can't die the same way as Jesus did. So flip me upside down. So he died crucified, but upside down. And he was so humble. He was like, I can't even, like, be in the same category, same league as Jesus. I don't even want to die the same kind of death. I'm not worthy. And he... Something happened here, you know? He goes from sword-wielding, ear-cutting, to, yeah, a man who's an elder, who's very gentle, who's marked by love, who's marked by humility. So I'm just going to break down the text. And real quick, it's going to be three sections. And write this down. These three sections will show three effects humility has on different relationships in your life. So the first section is, Effect of humility in relationship with God. So verses 6 and 7, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. You know, Peter here, he's saying, come from a place of humility. He's saying, come from a place of humility, and then cast your anxieties on him. And get this, this is... You know, I've heard this verse before. I've probably, um, you know, misquoted it before even. Like, because I just, all I heard, when I'm going through times of trouble, I'm like, cast your cares on him. Cast your anxieties on him, right? I almost forget the latter half. The latter half says, not cast your cares on him because I'm telling you to. Not because it'll make you feel better. That'll happen too. 
But he's saying, because I care for you. Cast your cares, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And that's the first thing we've got to realize. When you come from humility, you understand the love of God, the heart of God in a better way. Your relationship with God is impacted when you come from a place of humility. And that's why, yeah, what, when Paul starts off this section of the passage, he says, therefore, humble yourselves. He's talking about the rest of the, rest of the um, passage. Just humble yourself. Stay in that place of humility. Second place is, second effect of humil- human- humility. Humility in relationship is your relationship with the devil, with Satan, with Diablos. I'm speaking Spanish like every other line here. Uh, yeah, it, the effect of humility, um, it, it affects your relationship. It impacts your relationship with the devil. So verse 8 and 9, it says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. First thing it says in verse 8, humility empowers you. You got to get this. Humility empowers you to be sober-minded and watchful. Humility empowers you to be alert. Because, man, when you're not, when you're coming from a place of pride and you're, com- and you're not thinking straight, you're just going to go into danger right ahead without really clearly thinking, without, really so- without sober judgment. You're just going right at it and you're not able to, yeah, really be alert and clear as you can. You know, humility empowers you to do that. Next thing is humility empowers you to be undevourable because it gives you the right perspective. Undevourable. That's not even a word. I tried typing it on my computer and the little red squiggly lines came underneath. But this is, this is a word for you because humility, it, you know, uh, Peter describes saying here as a line, as a roaring line. And I've heard this analogy before when I was a student like you guys not that long ago. I was part of a college ministry, and some of the staff there, I guess my version of uh, Tina Lee back then, she was saying, or he was saying, uh, you know, the devil's like a lion. And he could roar, you know, he could roar. Anyone here roar really well? That's what I'm talking about. All right. Mm. Humble yourself. All right. You know, and the and devil, it, it's, it's lot, that, was, that was a cute, you know, little, little pretty dainty roar. But, you know, saying he'll roar, he'll throw lies in your face. He'll say, hey, look, this is you. Hey, this, this, this thing called sin, it's more powerful than you. Hey, these old habits of yours, everything you experienced here in Emmaus, you know, it's gone. It's, it's, it's not, it's not going to last. You know, he could roar and do all these things, but... You know, and he could threaten you. He could do all these things. But, man, what I, what I, what really um, helped me understand this imagery that Paul, that Paul, that Peter used here was, uh, it's like a devil. I mean, what? Devil is like a lion that has no teeth. All right? So he could roar all he wants and, and, you know, try to scare you as much as he can, but he can't hurt you. It's like a lion with no teeth. It's, it's a lion that's declawed. It can't even scratch you, you know. It'll just rub its nice furry little paw on you, you know. It, it can't hurt you. It, the devil can't hurt you, because what happened was, you know, Jesus says, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you." 
Great commission, right? And he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. You know, saying he has a lot of power, he has an arsenal, he can't hurt you, but he has no authority to execute it. The only authority he has is what you give him. So yeah, he could hurt you. He has, he has the power to do it, but he has no authority. And in that sense, he has no teeth. He has no claws. He can't hurt you. And what happens is when humility, when we understand that, when we understand who God is, and we understand that God is a God who is for us and not against us, we humble ourselves. We remember who we are and we remember what the enemy can't do. Amen? Humility empowers you to be undevourable and empowers you to resist the devil as well. All right, third one. Effect of humility in relationship with the promises of God. With the promises of God. So verse 10 and 11 It says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So real simple. You know, it's talking about an ultimate victory that we have in God. All right. And when we have humble, sober-minded judgment, we're able to really um, bring things again in the right perspective. We're able to know what the ultimate victory is that we have in God. Amen. All right. So... Tell your neighbor, humble yourself. So you know how I talked about earlier how there's a tension between a sinner and a saint? You know, and there's this tension that we live in, right? In a similar way, there's a tension because Peter, he says here, humble yourselves to God. You know, he's saying, all you got to do is you got to sit down and you just got to humble yourself to God. You know, he's saying just, just acknowledge who God is Humble yourself. Take a breather. Take a chill pill. Stop there. And then he goes on to say, resist the devil. He goes on to say, fight the devil with everything that you got. And there's this tension because he's saying, depend on God with everything you have. And then he's saying, fight the devil with all the strength you have, right? And there's this, there's this tension, right? And there's two extreme attitudes that can come from this. One is, here, you know, trust in God, be humble. And you could just be quiet. All right, it's quietism. It's when one believes that God is so sovereign that any opposition, anything that comes my way, I don't have to do anything. God's going to take care of it. You know, there's this kind of mentality, one extreme, that pretty much says we don't need to worry about anything because God will take care of it. We don't have to do anything. It's very passive faith. And then on the other end, you got humanism. It's kind of like, kind of like what Peter was doing with the, brah, you know, with the sword, you know. And it, it, there's this other extreme where it's not passive, but it's very active. If anything, it's too active. And uh, that extreme is, it stresses the need for a vigorous effort in the Christian life. It's saying you got to fulfill the commandment of love, and you're just waiting for this, like, injection of power to do it. It's like, it's like, a, it's like a race horse, all right? And then you're telling this horse to just race and win the race, but at the same time, you're just telling him, like, hey, here's some drugs, here's some steroids, here's some speed, take it, go with that race horse, go boy. You know, and then it's, there's this kind of, there's these two extremes, and you're telling the horse, you know, keep going, keep going, and you got quietism, and you got humanism. There's two extremes, okay? And, you know, Peter's well aware of this as he's telling the Christians, you know, telling his readers. But the thing is, it's not any different today. You know, especially for a lot of you here today, you know, 
I don't know what your background is. I don't know if you grew up in the church or not. But regardless, you're here in Korea. Korea is mad safe. Man, Korea is super safe. Like, you can, you know, there's no crime. I could just leave my bike. That's right. That's, um, you know. And, uh, yeah, man, you ever have your, your car broken into, your bike stolen or jumped? Or, it's just not fun, man. It's just not fun, you know. And, you know, and, and it's, it's very easy to be very just, you know, quietism. You just chill here, you know, just, just just fold your leg a little bit, you know, just, you know, and just, just chill and, and just be very like, oh, oh, God, you got this. Or, oh, my familiar leader, she's going to pray for me. He's going to pray for me. You know, Tina, she, she just prays for everyone here. And like, I don't, I don't got to do anything. You know, it, it's just going to come to me. Tina, Tina, can you, hey, can you chew that word for me and just, just feed it to me like a bird. You know, it's like, it's easy to, to be like, man, can you just do all the work for me? Uh, regardless of where you're at, whether you're here or, you know, back home or, you know, after school, whatever um, stage of your life you're in, it's easy, especially where we're living in, it's easy for us to kind of be on that receiving end and just be like, man, I don't have to worry about anything. God's going to take care of it, right? But what Peter is saying is he's offering balance. He's saying the promise of divine help, the promise that comes from trusting in God wholly with the command to resist the devil with all that you have. He's saying those two things are one. You know, it's faith in Christ. It's our faith in Christ. But at the same time, it's the faithfulness of Christ. But the thing is, this balance comes through humility. It comes from having the right perspective. Tell your neighbor, balance comes through humility. Look, you guys aren't in, um, you guys, I don't, I don't like saying these kind of messages because I don't, I don't want to feel like I'm emotionally manipulating you guys or be like, hey, all right, play the music, turn the lights off, you know, and, and I, I don't like that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I think there's things to it and I think there's a grace and anointing on that. I'm all for that because when it comes down to it, praise team, tech team, all these people, they're kind of not just setting the mood, but they're doing everything they can to love you. You know, and that's that's one of the ways they love you. But anyways, I don't like preaching these kind of messages, but it's the word we need to hear. So I'm asking you guys, just open your hearts. Because, you know, right now you're not in a church in Sudan that's being persecuted, that you're having random, you know, men or, you know, suicide bombers just coming in and poor little children are dying innocently, believers and non-believers. You're not like Miriam... Um, Ibram, I forget how to say her name, but Miriam, you know, she's, that's just, that's just satanic, you know, it, for those of you who know, she's uh, this Christian Sudanese woman, she married an American, and she's Christian, so Sudanese government, they said, hey, you can't uh, leave, and she's, she was pregnant with a child, like eight months or something, and she had another little baby in her arms. And she was in prison. This baby's getting sick over and over again. And they were just waiting for her to deliver the baby so that she could be flogged to death. And she's just persecuted. Is this stuff you hear in like the Stone Age? You know, you wouldn't think it would happen today. But you know, there's people like that who, who know what, knows what it means to trust in God and to resist the devil with all they have. And just because you're not in this situation right now where you got to resist the devil, you got to fight him with all you can, you're, or you're locked up in jail or whatever, let me tell you, the Lord gives you trials. He gives you sufferings. 
Because God calls us all to be built in character. God calls us all to be humble. But the way he does it is through suffering. And if you really read this epistle, it's all about suffering. You could even read the little title, you know, the little, you know, the smaller font with the, you know, italicized, you know, suffering as a Christian, suffering as a godly believer. You know, he's just talking about suffering, suffering, and that's the key for us to be humble. This isn't a honky-dory, you know, fun word to receive. Uh, and the last thing I want you all to do is like, I'm going to go suffer. You know, just like go out and like look for trouble or, you know, I'm not saying that. Because by no means was Paul saying that, or darn it, Peter, you know, he wasn't saying that either. You know, he wasn't saying, he wasn't promoting suffering, but he was promoting endurance. He was promoting patience, long-suffering, what comes from a result of suffering, right? And that's the key. The context of humility that he's writing here is in the context of suffering. And all of us are called to suffer. That is not, I don't hear any amens for that, you know. It's not, amen what the heck, man? You know, it's like, it's not a fun word to receive, but, and let me tell you, man, when I was, when I was a college student, when I first really came back to the Lord, I was like, Lord, I will do anything for you. I will climb this mountain for you. I will evangelize to that person for you. I will give all my money or a few dollars I have in my savings account for you. I'll do whatever it takes, Lord, whatever it takes. You know, because, um, you know, freely you gave it all for us. And then I'm going to give it back. And, you know, and I, I, it was very romantic. And I was like romanticizing suffering. And I was like, Lord, I want to suffer for you because, man, my reward in heaven is going to be greater. And I was like, I was almost looking for not suffering. I was looking for trouble. You know, that's what I was looking for. And, you know, I was going to, I was willing to go there and do that and, and this. But I'm not telling you to do that, you know. I'm saying you are going to suffer, but it's going to come to you. Because whether, this is what it is, either you're in a time of suffering or you're going to go through a time of suffering. Or you're, gonna, you're about to be in a time of suffering, okay? But the thing is, yeah, God doesn't want you to stay there. That's not his heart. That's not his will. He just wants to refine you, right? And this is what set me free in regards to this. Because there was a time, especially when I was uh, in Japan and I was doing uh, college missions, ministry out there and i was reading uh my man john piper uh let the nations be glad it's missions book and he was saying like the two things at least one of the things that were present in the early church that needs to exist for the church to grow and prosper even if you look at it historically was suffering you couldn't have church growth you couldn't have church plants unless there's some form of suffering and i understood that but i understood it in the in the wrong context i was i was saying like if I had a flag, I was waving this flag like, suffering! You know, it was like my anthem. I was like, Lord, I want to suffer for you. Oh, less of me, Lord, more of you. Like, give me, give me more suffering because that's, that's good. That's good. And, and I almost lost sight. I almost made suffering an idol. And I'm not saying that, but I'm saying we got to suffer. But our uh, healthy mindset of having it is this. So two years ago, I went to um, Pastor Benjamin's church. He's... Uh, one of the pastors who's mentoring Pastor Christian right now, and I asked him this question about suffering, and I was like, what's the healthy view of suffering? And, like, yeah, we're, it's God's will, and he tells us, hey, like, I've come to bring a sword to divide, and, you know, suffering is going to come, and blessed are those who are persecuted for my name, who suffer for my name, suffer, 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 right? You see it over and over again, but I was like, how do we have a healthy outlook on this? Because as Christians, 
maybe we don't have to desire suffering, but we need to be willing to go through it, right? But I was like, how do we have a healthy mindset on this? And he said, you see, this revelation uh, set me free. Jesus, what happened to him on the cross? Crucified, right? Now, crucifixions back then, it was either several hours or maybe like a few days. All right, it took a long time. And it just depended on how severe uh, God, uh, or not God, how severe you were flogged. You know, it depended how uh, bad the punishment was before. And depending on how serious it was, you're, you'd suffer and you'd die on this cross either a few hours or a few days. It says in the Bible that Jesus, he, died, uh, he was there from the third hour to the ninth hour. So he was there for six hours. He was there from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. in the hottest time of the day. And, you know, he breathed his last. He says, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then, you know, the veil was torn. You guys know what happened. But what he said was, you see, Jesus, he was on the cross for six hours. And he didn't suffer on the cross a minute more or a minute less than he needed to in order to pay for all the sins of the world. You know, Jesus, he wasn't looking for suffering, but he was more than willing to go through it for us. In that same way, you know, humility, it was one of the marks of John Piper, right? He said, you know, humility, it's asserting truth out of service for God and out of love for others. Humility is not about you. Humility is about others. And, and Jesus understood this so well that he was able to suffer, not any longer. He wasn't going around looking, you know, looking for fights, looking for suffering, but he was able to suffer so well because his, he was marked by humility. He had the right perspective. Jesus was the most humble man who ever walked the face of the earth. Everything he did was marked by humility. In Philippians 2, it says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Hebrews 12, it says, And for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. You see, Jesus, he was so marked by humility that when he took up the cross, he did it with joy. It says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. This is what this means. He took one look at you, the joy of being with you, and knowing the price that came with that, knowing that man, I need to humble myself. I'm the God above. I'm the name above every name. I'm going to come in this human form. I'm going to humble myself because, man, it means to be with you. He took one look at you. He took one look at the cross. And he says that he despised its shame. He scorned its shame. He said, Psh, that's nothing. The shame, the stigma, the pain, the punishment that comes from the cross, that's nothing. And I'm more than willing to humble myself because it's a joy. Again, we're not called to look for suffering, but we're called to suffer. Amen? Let's bow our heads.